Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth, Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. Okay, let's see here. Today is the 21st of January, 2018. We're almost done with our first month of the year. I mean, it just seems like we just got into the new year. Um, The web guy asked me to announce that if there are any problems with the iTunes, the MP3 uploads or anything, to let him know. Uh, You can let let me know through the uh, church website or whatever, but that's uh, something that he does as soon. I mean, literally, as soon as I have that thing uploaded to YouTube, Five minutes later, I get a, uh, oh, we've got your Bible study uploaded, or we've got your uh, uh, prophecy update loaded. The guy is amazing how quickly he works, but he just wants to know if there are any problems with the audio portions of the things that you listen to. So please pass that on. And um, our first category is Israel. And kind of in line with Israel is our sermon today. We're in our second to the last Feast of the Lord sermon. Today is the Feast of Israel. the Day of Atonement. Now, just so you know, we did the Day of Atonement sermon from uh, Leviticus 16, just to, you know, we're 16, 17, like eight chapters ago, and Leviticus 16 covered all of the bases. It was three sermons long, and when I started doing the Feast of the Lord sermon for Leviticus 23, I thought, we've already done this. I mean, we just did it a few weeks ago, and there's going to be nothing to tell you about the Feast of the Lord. It's only six verses long. I can tell you that I was astonished at how much information is different. I thought I'd be cutting and pasting from Leviticus 16 and just giving you a repeat so you could remember what you had already forgotten. It's all new. I'm telling you, this is a marvelous sermon. It is pointing to the greatest day in all of human history, and it is something that is I hope that you will be blessed by, if you watch the Prophecy Update and do not watch the Day of Atonement sermon, I will whip you with a wet noodle. So please, please watch this sermon. Our first article is from Ynet, and report direct India-Israel flights may begin via Saudi Arabia. If you know that Benjamin Netanyahu has been um, in India for the past week, and he's been working on some deals, some things that fell through, which are now reestablished, and it's been a productive week for him. But um, one of the major things is this. Even though it didn't make much news, it's a very major thing. It says here, a major Indian airline may begin operating direct flights to Israel, which will include a navigation route above Saudi Arabia. And that's very important to remember as a part of the further consolidation of diplomatic ties between Jerusalem and New Delhi. If Saudi Arabia agrees to the move, and I can't see them not agreeing at this point, it would likely be presented to the Indians as a gesture and not to the Israelis. Remember, Israel and Saudi Arabia do not have diplomatic ties. But, uh, and it says there, since Jerusalem has no formal diplomatic ties with Riyadh, Nevertheless, the change would symbolize another step in the direction of normalization between Israel and the Sunni kingdom, buttressing what are already reported to believe increasingly warm and cooperative, albeit private, relations. In other words, these things that are going on between Saudi and Arabia and Israel, this will just be another concession towards them. It says, presently, only Israel's El Al airline operates flights between the two countries. 
But the LL flight from Israel to Mumbai demands an elongated route and protracted flight duration, flying above the Arava, meaning the desert and south of Israel, continuing along the Red Sea. It reaches Yemen and then finally turns east towards India. That flight lasts eight hours. And so they will be able to cut that down significantly if they can fly directly over Saudi Arabia. Once again, it will probably only be Indian carriers, but this is a giant step if it is authorized. It is something that is pointing to exactly what we've been talking about continuously in prophecy update after prophecy update is the alliances that will be made prior to the Gog-Magog battle. All right, next article, Al-Arabiya. Palestinian Central Council calls for struggle against Israel in all forms. They are not trying to make peace at all. Instead, they're working against any possible peace between the Fakistinians and the Israelis. The PCC instructed the executive committee of the Fakistinian admin to suspend the recognition of Israel. The council furthermore announced its support for the popular struggle against the Israeli occupation in all forms. That means including terrorism against Israelis, as it described in its statement without elaborating more. But it, it's explicit. If you think of it through, it means that they want to attack Israel in all forms in order to harm them. All right. It says the Central Council also announced that it has decided to stop security coordination between Ramallah and Israel, adding that it refuses to recognize the Judaism of the Israeli state. All right. They fail to recognize the Israeli state at all, but they are specifically against the fact that it is a Jewish state and they are not in any mood to changing that at this point after what's been going on over there in the past month or two. From the Christian Times, missionary organizations see marked increase in Jews converting to Christianity. And this is a very good thing, but uh, it's something that has a lot of the uh, Haredim and the uh, rabbis in Israel up in arms. But Christian Witness to Israel, or CWI, one of the world's oldest missionary organizations, has stated that there has been a notable rise in the number of Jews turning to Christ. The organization which focuses on exclusively trying to convert Jews to Christianity will be commemorating its 175th anniversary this month in Oxford. And the event at St. Aldate's Church will celebrate what it describes as a marked increase in the number of Jewish people coming to faith. If you want to know one of the reasons why people are doing this in particular, it's because of the website One for Israel. They have their uh, videos uploaded on YouTube. They are outstandingly done. They are Jews that have converted. They give their testimony. You want to see some very well done videos. Watch theirs. One for Israel. Anyway, according to a statement from the charity, its international team of missionaries has reported 60 Jewish people coming to Christ in the last two years. CWI's work has been regarded as controversial by some Christians who believe that it is inappropriate to convert Jewish people to Christianity. How stupid. How absolutely stupid to call yourself a Christian and say something like that. For example, in 2015, the Roman Catholic Church has renounced attempts to convert Jews. According, Yes, I announced that during a prophecy update. You were sleeping that day. According to the uh, Jews for Jesus website, there are about 30,000 to 125,000 thousand Jews across the globe who believe in Jesus. But yes, it is no longer the policy of the Roman Catholic Church to evangelize Jews. All right, another step towards the end times with those people. Interesting note. 
That's right. Israel is not 100 years old. It started before their establishment. It's been growing ever since. As I said a couple times, there's one Jewish rabbi that said he was in distress saying it, but he said more Jews have converted to Christianity in the past 19 years than in the past 1900 years. So it's a wonderful thing that's going on. From the Times of Israel, gay, bisexual men cleared to donate blood in pilot program. We saw this in Wales. We saw it in Scotland. We see it all over the world. Well, Israel has jumped on the boat. Gay and bisexual men in Israel will be allowed to donate blood through Magen David Adom in the same way as other donors. After the emergency service announced a double testing system that screens blood twice. So it's not the same as other donors right off the bat. It goes on. Let's see here. On January 6th, the health ministry announced that gay men could donate blood, but only if 12 months had passed since their last sexual encounter. But, but a coalition of gay rights groups challenged that procedure as irrelevant and unrealistic, of course. MDA's director of blood services developed a special program that will, now tell me if everybody else has to go through this, test the blood once at donation and a second time before infusion. In the interim, the blood will be frozen for four months in a special freezer. Something totally unnecessary. You just tell these people they're not qualified to give blood. You don't taint your blood supply with the blood of these people. The health ministry accepted the double test procedure on a two-year trial basis, meaning gay and bisexual men will no longer need to wait between having a sexual encounter and donating blood. Tomorrow you have sex, the next day you go give blood. No problem. Israel caved on it just like every other nation has done. It is insane. Christian News Today. I have something to announce, which I'm very proud of, and it's somebody that we have brought up several times. He attends our church from Uganda. His name is Isaac Namugera. He's a very nice person. We've helped him out. Um, you know, people have helped him out by appeals through this particular ministry, and people have helped him to build schools, to start piggery projects, to send Bibles to people. This guy has more fires going at any time than any person I know on this planet. That includes all of Christianity. He does more in a day than most people will do in most of their life. But I want to congratulate Isaac. He got a degree on Friday in business administration and management. And so we have a uh, college uh, educated person over there who is in charge of taking care of so many people that I can't believe it. He does so much for the people of the world. What a man of God. And it's an honor to know him. And congratulations, Isaac. From Yahoo. Trump's spiritual advisor warns you to send her up to one month's pay or face consequences. If you didn't hear this, I have another article which will close it out, but I wanted to show you the perverse nature of the person that uh, Trump has to deal with. She stood up at the inauguration and she gave uh, uh, you know, a message about Trump during the inauguration. Her name is Paula White. She's a minister, supposed minister here in Florida. Well, she said, Paula White, a prosperity gospel preacher with close ties to President Trump, is calling on followers to send her donations of up to one month's salary. Those who don't pay up could face consequences from God as he demands. We just went through the first fruits feast of the Lord recently. Well, look at how she has twisted the beauty of what we presented in that Feast of the Lord sermon. She says, those who don't pay up could face consequences from God as he demands the dough of the first fruits offering. If you remember what that pictured, she is absolutely insane. The reason is God lays claim to all firsts. So when you keep for yourself something that belongs to God, you are desecrating what is to be consecrated to God. That 
passage in the Old Testament has zip to do with giving. Zip, okay? She consistently takes passages out of context, and she makes them into a money-generating operation. It's very poor handling of Scripture. This person should not be preaching at all, and nobody should be sending her money at all. It is terrible having this person as an influence to our president. When you honor this principle, she says, it provides the foundation and structure for God's blessings and promises in your life. It unlocks deep dimensions of spiritual truths that literally transform your life. You want to transform your life? Start reading this book. And keep reading it every day of your life for the rest of your life. That will transform your life. She goes on, when you don't honor it, there are consequences. While White says these firsts belong to God and God alone, she wants them sent to her in the form of offerings to her ministry. So there you go. That's the prosperity gospel in a nutshell. I wouldn't give a nickel to people like that. Not a nickel. They take scripture, they twist it, they manipulate it, they abuse it. Now, having said that, If Donald Trump, and some people say she led him to the Lord, other people claim other people, if Donald Trump received Jesus Christ, understanding that he is Lord and that Christ died for his sins, was buried, and was resurrected, he is a saved man. I am not here to question the salvation of another Christian just because of who led him to the Lord or under what circumstances. I wasn't there. All I know is he says, I am a Christian, and I will support him as that until I hear otherwise. He's a fallible man. He's not a theologian. He is a president. He's going to say things that upset people. That's fine. As long as he is our president, so far I have liked pretty much everything he's done. It's been morally grounded. Did you see that he talked to the uh, first time ever to the March of Life people in 45 years? Wonderful speech. He is is a a man that is for the right time in our history in this nation, I believe, 100%. Okay, from Christian uh, Journal, Paula White, who I just did the article on, she scrubs the webpage of language urging First Fruits offering of day, week, months, wages, and consequences for not giving. In other words, this got out and she ended up scrubbing it because she knows that it's a perverse thing that she did. But she's going to continue with this type of of, uh, sermon, this type of stuff on her website. It's abusive. It is not proper handling of scripture. Don't send her a penny. Okay, don't do it. You want to help some people watch the uh, video that we did at the beginning of the service today to open us. We have missionaries that are going to Papua New Guinea who are going there, dedicating their young lives for the rest of their lives to passing on the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that don't even speak any language that they're aware of at this point that they will have to learn and then they will have to translate the Bible into their language, establish churches, etc. That's the kind of people you want to help out there. All right, from the Catholic thing, confronting the gay priest problem. You remember I uh, announced in a uh, update about three weeks ago that a priest had come out and said, I am gay to his congregation. And oh, it made all of the news services and everybody was, okay, here we go. This is uh, recently a priest who was prominent in the pastoral care of those with sex addictions received his 15 minutes of fame when he revealed to his congregation at a Sunday mass and to the NCR, the National Catholic Register, that he was gay. His self-congratulation was met with thunderous applause. In a TV interview, he proclaimed there is nothing wrong with being gay. 
The game plan of a gay priest coming out was predictable and is politically effective. In revealing his homosexuality, the Midwestern priest was careful to assemble a string of ambiguous assertions that cannot be immediately assailed on the grounds of orthodoxy, but when bundled together are morally subversive. This guy wrote a very good article here. One, claim that sexual transparency is a matter of personal integrity. Two, remind the public that you are a Catholic priest in good standing. Three, proclaim proudly that you are gay. Four, cultivate the adulation of your congregation by claiming victim status and the freedom that comes from such an honest revelation. Is anybody seeing what the liberals do in this? Because this is exactly the plan that they use with every issue that they come up with. Next, as a preemptive strike against disciplinary actions by ecclesiastical authorities, claim that your self-revelation is truly courageous. Next, feign humility and presume you have become a necessary role model for others. Next, remind us that you and all gays are members of the alphabet soup of sexual perversion are created in the image of God, implying our sinful neglect. Okay, and then next, commit to celibacy, i.e. not to marry, but carefully avoid the term Christian chastity, which is exactly what he did. So he's, he's saying, I'm not going to get married, which is church dogma, but I can be gay actively. Okay, Each of these assertions standing alone would likely withstand ecclesiastical censure. But when woven together, the gay agenda promoting the acceptance of the homosexual lifestyle within the church comes into clear focus. The priest's bishop also responded according to a predictable contemporary ecclesiastical template. The bishop said, we support the priest in his own personal journey and telling his story of coming to understand and live with his sexual orientation. As the church teaches, those with same-sex attraction must be treated with understanding and compassion. Totally contrary to the word of God, they do something perverse like that out of the church. But they have, they've developed these straw man arguments. They have built these fallacies into what they are doing. And then the world follows along because they don't think clearly. From the Christian Post today, PCUSA, that's the uh, Presbyterian Church USA, updates Book of Common Worship to have inclusive language for same-sex marriage. PCUSA will soon have a new Book of Common Worship, which will include a new marriage service text that will feature inclusive language. Among the changes made, the new edition will feature what the PCUSA publication Presbyterians Today described as inclusive language for its marriage right, making the service useful for all sorts of couples and family configurations. Those who want to renew their vows will find a service that is adaptable for a variety of people and places. Also included is a brief service of prayer for those who seek a way to ritually mark the end of a marriage. So even divorce is being written into their uh, perverse agenda in the PC USA. From the Daily Caller, just the title US Mennonite Church splits over homosexuality. Good job for the people that were willing to make that stand and say, we are not going to allow this. Good job. The rest of them, off to uh, you know where you're heading, building your diving boards. Mail online. Non-believers call on faith when, I mentioned this last week, I read it early Sunday morning and I said I would announce it, so I'll, I'll read it. It did make drudge. Usually when something finally makes drudge, I don't report it, but I said that I'd say it. Non-believers call on God when faced with a crisis, despite insisting they're not religious. 
One in four atheists or agnostics resort to prayer when personal crisis strikes, but less than half of all people who do pray think that God hears their call. We'll read Isaiah 59 too. Your sins have separated from your God so that he will not hear you. They're absolutely right about that. Unless you call on Jesus Christ as Lord and are saved by his shed blood, God does not hear your prayers. He does not. Get this right. A mediator is a person who works between two parties. Okay? When there is no mediator, there is God and there is man. Nothing gets to his ears because the sins have separated us from our God. Okay? We need a mediator. Jesus Christ is the only mediator according to the words of Paul. He ain't hearing anybody's prayers. But it is true, and they say one in four uh, agnostics or atheists, it's all of them. When crisis hits, the very first words out of their mouth is, oh, God, God." that's right, or oh, my God. It's first thing everybody says. It's natural human instinct to know that there is a God, and we got to start calling out to him. Sorry, if you don't know Jesus, it's not going to help. From Islam today, very long article from Arts Shiva, 99% of Palestinian refugees are fake. Okay, that's why we've been calling them fakestinians all this time. The American taxpayer is UNRWA's largest donor. That's being cut significantly by Trump twice in the past two weeks, but paying $370 million in 2016. Few expenses would be more satisfying to cut from the federal budget for UNRWA has a long record of misbehavior, incitement against Israel, supporting violent tax on Jews, corruption, and perpetuating rather than ending the refugee problem. Not surprisingly, many attempts have been made in Congress to cut its funding. Trump has done it quite a bit in the past two weeks, as I said. But every one of them ended in failure because of Israeli government opposition. Because of what, you ask? Yes, contrary to what one might expect, the government of Israel wanted continued U.S. payments to UNRWA, fearing that their termination might cause a new intifada, the collapse of the PA, or renewed warfare with Hamas. Even were U.S. funding to UNRWA ended, plenty of governments and even individuals could easily replace the $370 million and have incentive to do so. Qatar, who's causing all kinds of trouble right now, could consolidate its role as protector of the Fakistinians. Beijing could purchase a role at the heart of Arab politics. Moscow could reverse some of the damage of siding with Tehran. Carlos Slim, estimated by Forbes today to be worth $67.9 billion, could decide to burnish his Arab credentials. Worse yet, were any of them to fill the funding gap, the Trump admin would look ineffectual and isolated. I suggest, and this is the person writing the article, that withholding funds is not the right tactic. Better would be to focus on the Palestinian refugee status. And even if no one replaced U.S. donations, denying UNRWA money does not get to the heart of the problem, which lies not in its sponsored activities, but in its perpetuating and expanding population of Palestinian refugees or Fakistinian refugees in three unique, even bizarre ways, allowing this status to be transferred without limit from generation to generation, maintaining the status after refugees have acquired a nationality such as Jordanian and assigning the status to residents of the West Bank and Gaza who live in the putative Palestinian homeland. 
These tricks allowed the UNRWA artificially to expand the refugee population from 600,000 in 1949 to 5.3 million now. An accurate count of real refugees now alive numbers around 20,000. Therefore, while enthusiastically endorsing Trump's political goals, I suggest that withholding funds is not the right tactic. Better would be to focus on the Palestinian refugee status, denying this to all but those who meet the U.S. government's normal definition of a refugee. We already have guidelines that say this person is an authorized refugee. None of those people meet it, except for 20,000. In this case, being at least 69 years old, because that's when they were went out of the land, stateless, and living outside of the West Bank or Gaza. That is what the U.S. stand is for everybody else in the world, except this group of people. If we stick with the valid definition, you're down to 20,000 people. Uh, it diminishes the irredentist dagger at Israel's throat by over 99%. It also puts the Fakistinian refugee status into play, permits millions of people. Fakistinians to live more healthily, addresses the dank heart of Arab anti-Zionism, and helps resolve the Arab-Israeli conflict. The Middle East Forum, that's who he's writing for, which has been working with this issue since 2010, has proposed legislation to make such a shift. It's both simple and feasible, as it does nothing fancier than bring Washington's relations with the UNRWA into line with U.S. law and policy. Wonderful article. The next article came out a couple days later from Aritz Shiva. UNRWA to receive an additional $1 million. The forum that I just read, that, that guy was speaking for the forum. The forum contribution requires UNRWA to end the automatic registering in perpetuity of the descendants of refugees, those who hold a nationality, and those who live in the purported homeland, the West Bank and Gaza. Making these technical changes puts it in line with all other refugee agencies and reduces the number of Fakistinian refugees from 5.3 million to around 20,000. I love their last sentence. Our $1 million donation will go a long way to meet the humanitarian considerations of this small and diminishing number. So it was just classic what they did. They've offered a million dollars for the actual 20,000 refugees that are left and cut everybody else out according to U.S. law. Well, I hope that they do actually do both. Trump has already cut twice from the budget that is going to those people. I would hope that he continues to cut completely because they're threatening Jews and, you know, causing all kinds of trouble. But secondly, I would hope that we would go in accord with U.S. law and just say there's 20,000 of them and we'll give you, you know, 100 bucks each each year. And that's what, 200,000 or 2 million or whatever. It's not a lot of money. Anyway, there you go. From the Times of Israel, a couple of articles on this, just the titles. UNRWA warns that U.S. funding cut threatens regional security and Fakistinian dignity. From the Times of Israel, stung by the U.S. aid cut, UNRWA launches global fundraising campaign. We need money, folks, because they're worried about their jobs. They give a little bit of rice to these people, and they all have high-paying jobs. From the Times of Israel, guess who does it? Belgium counters U.S. cuts with $23 million for U.N. Fakistinian fund. Good. Let the Belgians pay for it. They want to support those people? Great. We can keep cutting and other countries will continue to come in and we'll make our laws align with the laws that are on the books. Okay, Mail Online. 
This just gets my gall. It just does it, especially with the next article I'm going to read. But the first article is just galling enough. From Mail Online, Prayer Time on Patrol. British Army defies critics of politically correct campaign as it releases new recruitment video showing Muslim soldier praying in front of his colleagues. Now, can you imagine them doing that with a Christian soldier praying in front of their colleagues? No, but they've got this this campaign out there. The soldier kneels on a prayer mat while comrades wait respectfully nearby. The ad, Keeping My Faith, is the latest in the Army's This Is Belonging campaign. Earlier videos have reached out to gay recruits and said troops can be emotional. Okay, next article from the Catholic Herald. The British government refuses to say whether proclaiming divinity of Christ is a hate crime. You cannot say that Jesus Christ is fully God without possibly being charged with a hate crime, and yet they can put that kind of filth on a recruitment video so that Muslims will join their army. Absolutely crazy. Mongolia Express, North Korea's new trading ally. Ooh, Mongolia and Kim hit record high as China tightens trade. Figures released by the Korea Trade Investment Promotion Agency showed that the trade between the two countries has increased by 43%, Mongolia and North Korea. But it's not a lot of money, $2.29 million. The increase in trade was largely because of Mongolia's exports to North Korea, which stood at $1.92 million, which was up 55% from a year ago. During the same period, imports increased by 2.1% or only $300,000 from North Korea. Tobacco was the most exported item from Mongolia to North Korea, which accounted for 92.2% of the total. So all of this trade between the two countries is almost all cigarettes going for, you know, Kim Jong-un to smoke himself to death. Medicine was the most exported item from the hermit kingdom to Mongolia. So there you go. Daniel 12 Technology from Globes. Intel unveils 40% faster Wi-Fi chip developed in Israel. Now, we've already got really fast Wi-Fi. They can now go 40% faster. Intel unveiled a new generation of Wi-Fi chips that were developed in Israel and enabled surfing speed at 40% faster than the previous generation. Intel will be shipping the new 802.11 AX chips this year. So if you want faster Wi-Fi, it's coming out. From the Times of Israel... Car sensor. I think everybody that has a child on this planet should be mandated to have this in their car tomorrow. I I literally mean this. I'm not one for government regulations. I'm not one for you need to do this and that. I'm more libertarian than probably anything else. But I got to tell you what, there are a few things that really get my goal. Uh, And one of them is people that leave their child in the backseat of their car and go shopping. Car sensor aims to prevent infant death caused by heat stroke. An Israeli startup, Guardian Optical Technologies, has developed a car sensor that it says is capable of saving lives of infants accidentally left in cars by detecting the smallest amount of heartbeat. In the U.S., a child dies from vehicular heat stroke every 10 days, just in the U.S., often because a parent or caregiver forgets that there is a child in the back seat. The company's sensor uses optical motion analysis to detect the tiniest movement within the car, including an infant heartbeat. When it detects motion, it can know, you know, dogs and cats. I'm not, you know, one to say we should elevate them to human status, but I see a dog locked in a car. I'm going to break that window. 
I am going to break that person's window. You do not do that to animals or to anybody else, anything. It's just wrong. Anyway, uh, when it detects motion, it can notify a driver who has already left the car automatically. Turn on the air conditioner. Great stuff. The patent pending sensor combines two-dimensional video image recognition with 3D depth mapping and optical motion analysis. Currently, manufacturers use different kinds of sensors for airbags, seatbelts, and steering wheels. We have just one sensor that can enable all of these features. A conservative estimate puts the savings from replacing existing multiple sensors with his company's single sensor at $20 per car. That doesn't sound like a lot, but which for some automakers would translate to $200 million savings per year. In the future, as driverless cars emerge in the marketplace, data collected by the sensor will be used by fleet managers, insurance companies, and first responders to monitor the car's interior. Insurance companies will want to know what happened during an accident and to determine claims. First responders can analyze the data from the sensor to determine the impact and injury in vehicle accidents before arriving at the scene, potentially saving more lives. The sensor is beyond the proof of concept stage, and the company is providing manufacturers with advanced kits for field testing with an eye toward full integration in 20 or 21. Wonderful, wonderful technology. They need to speed it up and get it out sooner. Revelation Plagues. Mail online, 93 dead. This was a few days ago, so I don't know what it is as of today. 93 dead in flu outbreak. Mother broken after teenage daughter, 18, dies of bugs sweeping the United Kingdom as deaths soar by 77% in a week as country struggles against aggressive Aussie and Japanese strains. That's the UK. 93 people in that little country died in a single week, and it is growing. It's growing very quickly. It's a serious virus they have over there. From CBS Local, flu deaths growing as number of cases on the rise. This is in Philadelphia. The CDC says the flu is now widespread in 46 states, which includes the tri-state region. There are four times as many flu cases now as compared with this time last year. Zero Hedge, Alabama declares a state of emergency. The governor actually signed a state of emergency over the flu epidemic as death toll rises. Zero Hedge, more than 100 now dead, is worst flu epidemic in years, sweeps across the United States. I could go on and on all day with what's been going on. Hospitals can't take any more people. They've built tents outside to take people with the flu going on and on. This is the worst they have had, they believe, since 1918 when, what, 53 million people died or something, the Spanish flu. It's a very serious one. It could get out of control or it could just go away in the next 35 to 40 days. We'll see. But it's not something to be toyed with. Keep your hands washed. If you're sick, don't go around other people. Drink a lot of fluids, as my wife told me when I had it, and get a lot of rest. And that's my favorite thing to do because I can be young and handsome again, so I got all the rest I could. Anyway, raw story. Rare type of flu virus is why 2018 outbreak is the worst in living memory. That's very good analysis. New Scientist magazine is called 2018 the year of the flu because this year's influenza outbreak is showing signs of being the most lethal and severe since the 1918 great influenza pandemic that affected one third of the world's population and killed between 20 and 50 million people. The 1918 flu pandemic killed healthy adults as well as the elderly and very young. A pandemic is when a virus emerges that isn't 
the normal variation of the previous year's mutation. None of this I knew, so it's interesting, but a completely novel mutation against which the broad population has no immunity. In 1918, many people over 71 were protected since a related winter virus seems to have circulated before 1847. So if you were older than a certain age, you had already had exposure to something similar. And so they were protected. But the Spanish flu was a bird flu that learned to transmit between mammals and was equipped with fast gene replicating enzymes that were adapted well to birds, but deadly in mammals. Young adults especially died in droves. The 1918 flu killed its victims via their own body's attempts to defend against it. Patients drowned when their lungs filled with blood and other fluids as their systems frantically tried to fight off the invading virus. Victims' lungs would become so degraded the air would escape into other tissues. Nurses named the syndrome Rice Krispie Syndrome because bubbles of trapped gas under the skin would raise blisters in the flesh that crackled when patients were moved. The scientists are still struggling to understand what makes some flu viruses more lethal than others. That's why I say this is so important that they need to be careful, all of you, when you go out if you have not gotten the flu this year, because you could punch your ticket in a couple of days. It's very serious. It goes on. The key seems to be a combination of the virus's own built-in weaponry and our immune system's ability to recognize the virus as a threat and take action against it. Derek Smith at the University of Cambridge told new scientists that this year's H3N2, nicknamed the Aussie flu strain, could be taking advantage of both. Fortunately, the Aussie flu, while highly ineffective and severe, is not expected to be as lethal as the 1918 pandemic. A killer pandemic is on the way, however. So they're sure something is coming. They don't know if it'll be this year with all these various strains going around, but I've learned something and you've learned something now. Don't take this lightly. From Morality This Week, Planned Parenthood website. My friend sent me this from their website. It appears that Planned Parenthood pushes abortion over reproductive health services as witnessed by its 321,000 abortions that I reported last week, procedures totaling 80 times more than the 3,889 adoption referrals they made. Yet another irony is with the best info that I could find, each cost approximately the same. So you just recommend a uh, adoption that costs the same as a murder of a human child. Okay. Also, abortion procedures were performed over 40 times more than the 7,762 prenatal services they performed. I want to thank my friend Michael in Illinois for that. From KOAA News, 420 friendly, 420 is pot, right? 420 friendly sex event at Colorado Springs Cannabis Club raises questions. I can't read you the article, it's so perverse. But what they've got is they've got legalized marijuana there, right? Everybody says, oh, this is for for medicine and that's all it's ever going to be. And then it bloomed and then it bloomed some more. Now these people have these stores where they have, you know, hookahs and they sit around smoke pot all day. Well, they can get around the law of having sex parties by saying that we're having a private party this week and describing what is going on there. I can't read it to you. I just want to let you know that this is the end result of allowing a little bit of yeast into a lump of dough. You let this in. People say it's for medical purposes. Listen, if it's for medical purposes, the doctors can handle it. But other than that, we start with one little thing and it goes to another and another. And pretty soon you're having sex parties that the government says, oh, that's fine. It's a private thing. We, we're not going to get involved in it. Okay. Um, mail online. 
The trans trap. This almost tickles me. I hate to say it. It's it's just gross, but it almost tickles me. Women who identify as men, they're women still, but they identify as men, are not offered routine NHS breast cancer screening. Okay, that's over in England. Sorry, you identify as a man, so you can't have the screening, but men who identify as women will get smear tests. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Absolutely perverse world that we're living in. Absolutely perverse world we're living in. But that's the results of following this type of an agenda. Crazy. All right. Times of Israel. Transgender leaker Chelsea Manning, you probably read this, seeks a U.S. Senate seat. This insane person that's tried to kill him or herself how many times has caused all kinds of uh, problems in the U.S. government, treason against the government, is now running for the U.S. Senate, okay? And he'll probably win up there, or she, or it, it. From uh, Truth Revolt, California parents are barred from opting kids out of mandatory LGBT-inclusive textbooks. If you're in California, you cannot opt out of what they are pushing on your children. Zero Hedge, marijuana expected to be California's largest sin tax, of course, as Jerry Brown set to release surplus budget. So they now are making money off of something that's, oh, it's just for medical reasons. And of course, it's all about money and it's all about degrading society further. From Yahoo, gender removed from Queensland, Queensland, Australia, driver's licenses following LGBTI complaints. So you're no longer any gender over in Australia, just like Oregon and Washington and all of these other places. What a sad world we're living in. Genesis 6 all over again. It's just horrifying. Our other category, one long article. It's my update. I'm giving it to you. I had like eight really cool articles, and I I read this, and I said, I'm doing this. So here we go. Oh, before I do, Trump did the fake news awards, didn't he? Good job, Trump. I was going to read them all to you, but I figure most of you saw them, and if you didn't, just go out and watch the fake news awards. They're pretty wonderful. Okay, from Aritz Shiva. President Trump is a real life James Bond. Now, this is a person writing from Israel about our president. Here we go. The New York Times on January 7, 2018, gave us a snapshot of the state of the United States Intel community's assessment of North Korea's nuclear and missile capabilities as of January 2017. At the start of Donald Trump's presidency, American intel agencies told the new admin that while North Korea had built the bomb... There was still ample time to slow or stop its development of a missile capable of hitting an American city with a nuclear warhead. The North's young leader, Kim Jong-un, faced a range of troubles. They assured the new admin, giving Mr. Trump time to explore negotiations or pursue countermeasures. One official who participated in the early policy reviews said estimates suggested Mr. Kim would be unable to strike the continental United States until 2020, perhaps even 2022. Mr. Kim tested eight intermediate range missiles in 2016, but seven blew up on the pad or shattered in flight. And while the North Koreans had carried out five underground atomic tests, the intel community estimated that it remained years away from developing a more powerful hydrogen bomb. There you have it. At the start of Trump's presidency in January 2017, and after eight years of Obama, the vaunted U.S. intel assessment was 100% wrong on perhaps the most urgent military national security issue ever facing the United States. This U.S. intel assessment was even more catastrophically wrong because of the U.S. intel community was 100% wrong on North Korea, 
then the same intel community was one jillion percent wrong on Iran's nuclear and missile capabilities. Everyone knows that Iran not only did Obama's intel course spectacularly fail on its assessment, he gave Iran and the North Koreans the funds to finance the final push to their nuke and missile arsenals. Which brings us to the post-January 2017 Trump tweet trap intelligence up. President Trump, like any spy master, looks for his assets' greatest weaknesses. This is our president, and he knew this would happen. In this case, he concluded Kim Jong-un was his personal vanity. Once he saw Kim's vanity weakness, he exploited it by tweeting personally nasty comments against the North Korean lunatic. Remember Rocket Man? He did all of these things. This predictably caused the North Korean leader to have to prove how strong and manly he really was. U.S. Intel spent tens of billions of dollars and paid hundreds of experts to study North Korea's nuclear and missile capability, and they got it catastrophically wrong. Meanwhile, Trump, with nothing but his New York real estate smarts and his Twitter feed, delivered the real intel of the state of North Korea's nuclear arsenal. As an aside, what he was supposed to tweet back to Kim Jong-un's nuclear button-on-the-table remark... What was he supposed to say? Anything he tweeted would have been derided by the Trump haters. Excuse me. Trump is in a no-win, hate-Trump-at-all-costs situation. Had he not tweeted back at all, the left would have railed that he was bested by his own tweeting game and showed fatal weakness. What the mainstream lemmings didn't understand was they were actively interfering with Trump's ongoing intel operation. And Kim Jong-un gave away all of his military secrets while Trump gave away nothing. Can anyone imagine a Hillary Clinton admin where the U.S. intel and the U.S. Congress are allowed to blunder along for another four or eight years under the totally false belief that North Korea is still four years away from a miniaturized hydrogen bomb? What horrifically wrong decisions would have been made believing that North Korea wasn't really an immediate, clear, and present danger? What equally bad decisions would have been taken about Iran if the world still believed North Korea was six years away from a deliverable nuclear-tipped ICBM? The U.S. would have gotten hit with a surprise nuclear Pearl Harbor attack. Thanks to President Trump, now we know virtually exactly the true state of North Korea's nuclear program. He should be lauded for his genius and his heroic intelligence coup that clearly exposed North Korea as an immediate and real nuclear armed threat. We all need to pray for President Trump's health and success for the new year. His safety and success is the safety and success of every freedom-loving person on this planet. Very good article. I'm glad I changed it. You missed a lot of really cool shorter articles, though. Anyway, here's a lesseric about Paula White. She is wrong, yet she's seen on the right. Consequences are truth. Is the message uncouth? What she says of the body is blight. Good job, Les. And uh, before we get to our irony of the week, I want to remind you that Sergio and Rhoda have a weekly video that they put out this week. Once again, I heard Linda say, just as it was ending in church this morning, she says, it gets better every week. And it's true. Every time you watch one, you say, wasn't that unbelievable? It's, it's a really good one, guys. So watch it. Our irony of the week from KCBD. 
I'm going to read you the whole thing. You'll get the irony immediately. It's just so sad that this has to happen, and it pertains exactly to what I reported from Daniel 12 Technology. Mother leaves baby in car during her custody hearing. A woman in West Virginia is facing a child neglect charge for leaving her daughter in the car while she went to a family court to try and gain custody of the girl. So, such is the world we live in. And from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett. This is The Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week.